When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello and welcome to Post Match Raw, the normal edition. It's not the cup edition with me this time, but... Trev is busy doing Christmas things on the 23rd, so I'm stepping in. And my first question and my first welcome is to Dave. Dave, did you enjoy William Saliba's Man of the Match performance? It's a magnificent thing when the fourth best centre-back on the pitch gets Man of the Match um, and the best centre-back by a country mile who saw off not only the greatest left winger the game has ever seen, Hmm. but also the best, it doesn't matter if he doesn't score, number nine the game has ever seen all by himself, uh, doesn't get even a fraction of the praise. What What a wonderful game Jamie Carragher and Gary Neville watched in their own heads. Yes, Jim, did you enjoy the incessant wanking session we just had for 95 minutes? I was wondering what the noises were. Every so often you get these noises, and um, <clears throat> I couldn't tell if it was pleasure or pain, but maybe maybe it was a bit of both for them. It really was a weird game. But, Jim, how are you anyway over there? We'll, we'll talk about Saliba. Well, we might not even do that because Saliba was barely involved in the game. But, Jim, how are you anyway? I'm doing well. I mean, this is the time of year when everyone says, um, are you ready? I've got everything done. All set for Christmas. Um, yeah, I'm all set for Christmas. I just wish I was all set for it with us top of the table. But, you know, at least at least we got a point. At least we didn't lose. At least the unbeaten thing goes on. So, not bad. Yeah, absolutely. And, Dave, I mean, first question really, is it a point gained or two points dropped? I think it's two points dropped because we're at home and we were the better team. And we outplayed them for big stretches and we missed a couple of really good chances. Uh, One obviously being the Trent one, but, you know, we had other breaks where we ran at them and the final ball was wrong or someone let the ball run under their feet or, 
Mo stood on the ball once while dribbling. Mo got seemed to get space jammed at half time, which is a really weird thing. Um, I think it's two points dropped. But what I will say is, I'd actually rather be second at Christmas, given our history of being first at Christmas in the Premier League. We've been first five times and only have one league title. Now, I know we only have one league title in the Premier League era regardless, but I mm-hmm. would rather be second. And Because I don't think Arsenal will play well with the pressure on them. I think that that's what gets to them. It's easier for them when they're the underdogs. In the same way, it's easier for us when we're the underdogs. Because if you don't win it, well, you aren't really expected to win it. So I think once the pressure starts to mount on them, if we're a point behind them with 10 games to go, barring City overhauling both, we're winning the league because they're not as good as we are. We're missing a bunch of players today. We had two of our starters turn in really poor performances. We got the worst substitution performance I've ever seen in my entire life. And yet they were still having to time waste and slow the game down and heavily reliant on really poor refereeing throughout that game. Yeah, it was like 12 against nine men at times. (laughs) But we'll come on to that as we go. I mean, Jim... We, we know the teams. We probably expected the Liverpool team, except Darwin not starting. Um, I mean, what what did you make of the decision? And if you were to start Darwin, would you have sacrificed uh, Gakpo or Diaz? I think <clears throat> I think um, just about anyone I've spoken to who's a Liverpool fan has said, you know, let Diaz sit this next one out. He's not in his best form at the moment. And what we saw from Nunez in midweek was a player who can play on the left, so let's let's give him a go. It's not the first time we've seen that. So I think most of us were asking for it, but what we ask for and what Klopp does isn't always the same. And to be fair, on the whole, it works out probably quite well because it does work out well. Um, so I, I wasn't surprised that Diaz started, but I was kind of slightly disappointed that I thought it would have been a good one for Nunez to get into straight from the off in that game as well, in that fixture. Um He's on a yellow as well, so I feel like, you know, let him let him get his yellow in this game, let him miss the next game, but let, let's get the money's worth out of that that yellow. Sorry, he's on a, a yellow, you know, one more yellow and he's suspended for a game. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, I mean, there's a lot of talk from different people. Again, um, should we stick Gomez at right back and let Trent play in the middle from the off? Um that didn't happen. That was something I thought might happen. Um, but when I say might, it was such a tenuous idea, given the way the subs were at the weekend. I think as you look at the team, you see it's pretty much what you would have expected. I mean, the one the one shout I had was for Jones to start. I thought he should have started last weekend, especially with it being the game against the Manx and what it means for local players. That's Steven Gerrard mm-hmm. kind of thing. But... Um, I don't know if there was like a if there was like a, a Jones camp and an anti Jones camp like there always seems to be on these things. Um, the anti Jones camp might have had a a little bit to say today. I don't think he did too bad, but he didn't he didn't quite live up to what I I would hoping for from him. I thought he was really good to be fair. Maybe yeah, not as maybe maybe not, fast, maybe, not yeah. as fast as midweek, but pressing but, defensively. But we as a team weren't as fast as midweek. Yeah, yeah. But I yeah. thought I thought from about. From about 15 minutes in up until he got taken off, I thought Jones was excellent. Yeah. Him and Endo absolutely ran that Arsenal. And Dom, Dom, obviously, they ran over that Arsenal midfield over and over and over again. They couldn't live with us when we were playing at that pace. And then Jürgen just completely killed our midfield by bringing on Gravenberg. 
I think, yeah, I think that, that's 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 one of the things. I mean, I, I'm saying this about Jones. I think just a couple of times when he, my, you know, my, my expectations were really high. He wasn't as good as he was in midweek, but he was still good. But I think there was just a couple of, of bad choices at times with the ball. But that's that's the Liverpool way lately, isn't it? You know, you sort of you do all the great stuff really well, then it's just that last bit that's not quite right. And mm-hmm. um, Don wasn't quite as good as he was in midweek, but still still did well. And I've written it down somewhere. I mean, the substitutes just finished us off. It was, I've never seen it. It was like Jekyll and Hyde, two different teams with those subs. And it can't all be down to them. I don't know whether whether anything was given to them in, in, the, in by way of instructions about, I don't know, it just like the batteries run out. It just killed that flow, didn't it? I think yeah. it just was a bit weird, but we'll come out of them as we as we happen. I mean, Dave, your, your thoughts on the Arsenal side and obviously continue on the Liverpool side if you want to. Um... The Arsenal team, I was surprised he was arrogant enough to go with Havertz in midfield, if I'm honest. Mm-hmm. But he didn't really have any option because they're a bit they're a bit light in midfield at the moment. You look at their bench, and I know Jorginho is there, but he's been out the last little while with an injury, so he probably didn't want to risk him starting at Anfield. You're not going to play Leandro Trossard at Anfield in midfield, where he's you know played once or twice this season. Uh, Mohamed El Nenny, he's just back from multiple long-term injuries. Yeah. So the other, what was it, Emil Smith Rowe? Like he's even Kivor more lightweight. Played there like once, hasn't he? Once, like he could have played Kivor maybe at left back and put Zinchenko in midfield. But I think he, I don't think he had much choice. Like that team doesn't scare me at all. Like there's, there's not enough goals in that team. The midfield is lightweight outside of Rice. And the defence, I I think they're soft. And I think if we'd had Darwin from the start today against White and Saliba, I think he would have had a lot of a lot of um, good things because, like, we, we barely challenged them. We barely went at them. And yet, we'll go through this game. There's a number of opportunities that both Cody and Diaz could have taken advantage of going up against those two. And they were both really poor. So if Darwin had played and played as well as he did midweek, I do think he would have had joy. Like he came on, he ran white down the flank a couple of times. Uh, Saliba had to come across and foul him. They didn't like dealing with him at all. Tackled him once. (laughs) Jesus Christ. (laughs) Oh, Lord. That was probably the only tackle he made in the whole whole time. He skidded like tackled him. Absolute clown. But no, like that's it's a good team. Like they're a good a good team, but they don't scare me. They're not better than us. Man for man, they're not better than us. So I'm I'm a little like I said, I'm disappointed with the two points dropped, but I'm really heartened by our performance from fifteen up until the subs. Because even with Gakbo and Diaz not playing well, and even with the referee giving them every single little thing that they asked for, I still thought we were comfortably the better team for that stretch of the game. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And you've mentioned the start a few times, Dave, so I'll stick with you. It's obviously probably the most key part of the game because we do start quite nervy anyway. I mean, Alisson parries a low cross where he could have either just left it or probably gathered it, to be fair. And then four minutes in, they score... And we're usually so good at defending set pieces, pieces if I can speak, Reese's pieces there, um, 
to concede such a sloppy goal off a set piece, like our offside line is a mess. Ibu, probably the only thing Ibu did wrong, apart from his late game Matip adventure, um, he loses Gabriel. But the offside line, I mean, it's Gakpo. I, I don't know why. I know he's tall, but he shouldn't be back there defending set pieces like that. He's not. He's not for me, no. Um, no, it's Gakpo yeah. in the middle, and it's Endo at the back. They're the two that break our line. Ibu does what he should do. He holds the line. Unfortunately for him, the fella behind him doesn't do his job and goes with the runners and plays them all onside. Like there was three Arsenal players that he played onside. So I got the commentary with Ibu getting criticised for it as well. And then at half time, I was watching Being Sport and you had uh, McAteer and Andy Gray criticising him for losing the man. He didn't lose the man. He let the man run offside and Cody Gakbo played him onside. So I, I would put that more at Gakbo's feet than at, at Ibu's feet. But we did start really nervy. And I, I think we were almost taken aback by how intense they were in that first five minutes. Like, they really did fly out of the traps, and, and credit to them, because often we've seen them come to Anfield and, and shit themselves. Now, last season, obviously, they came and started really well as well. But it was never a case where I thought, oh, God, we're not going to get a goal here, because you can see the holes in that team, and we could we could clearly overwhelm them when we went up through the gears. Yeah, and if you mentioned 15-minute markets when we started to play, but Jim, I mean, anything you want to add on to, to their goal before we talk about us actually starting to play? Yeah, I mean, the, the, the one thing that jumped out at me was, um, my God, yeah, we, we've scored, we, we've conceded so early, we've... We, we do this a lot in games, you know, we sort of go into a game where we sort of wait for something to happen. We don't really seem to be in any, any, any hurry to make anything happen ourselves. Um, and, you know, we get we get frustrated watching and watching as we're not scoring goals. And how many times have Liverpool gone behind? Apparently we've got 19, we've won 19 games. Oh, sorry, we've got a point from 19. Well, I forget what the stat is, but what, is, what the, the stat yeah, basically is a lot of the time. Yeah, top of that stat, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I think it's actually, we've got 19 points from, from being behind in games so um it, it shows we do it a lot and i just felt you know why aren't we the ones coming out of the trap really really you know we, we've bigged up this game all week is how big it is we've talked about getting the crowd on the back of the players you know on, on the side of the players on the on you know um 12th man and all the rest of it and then we just come out just just looking shell shot almost and i just i just didn't understand that um but on the other hand i thought look Goals happen in football. Even even when you're playing really well, goals can happen for whatever reason. And it's always, always how you react to it. And that that seemed to be the right way we went about it. Then I think once we realised what was going on, we're behind. We need to get back into this. This was a different Liverpool performance, at least up until I don't know. Well, probably till the subs came on. Um, we the whole crowd was was loud, or it seemed to be. Um, you can't be totally sure with TV whether they're altering the volume these days, but it seems to be very loud, very much behind the players, very much you know putting pressure on the ref with decisions and all the rest of it, as it should be. Um, and I just thought to myself, you know, if last week if Man United had managed to score one of those counters that they had, we probably would have won that game because it kind of felt like, you know, it's that thing that we need something all the time to kick us into action. And once we've got the something, we can be really good. And... You know, I, I just thought, well, four minutes in, we, we've got to do it. We've got to react. We've got to come back from behind. And okay, in the end, it was only one, and it was only a draw. But I was really encouraged with that reaction to it. It was just, 
I think I'm not sure it was probably in the second half I'm thinking to myself it, the way we're pressing the way we're attacking the way we're winning the ball back is as good as I've seen us doing that in, in all the time Klopp's been here but it's that thing it's what happens next and that's what's, what's let us down today and um, you know we shouldn't have to wait for something to happen to get our you know to get our hackles up and be ready to attack a team that shouldn't happen I don't know why that keeps happening um, but once we do react we're good but at the moment I just wish I just wish we'd have some better decisions, you know, in that in that last bit of play. Yeah, yeah, that that will be a point of frustration as we get well throughout the bloody season, not just today, <laughs> but yeah, we'll we'll get to them. Um, we've even talked about being frustrated. Every game, every game we've won, we've talked about frustration at some point in the game. I would say mm. there's not been many games we've looked back on and gone, "My God, that was great from start to finish." That's the thing. That's the thing. Room to grow, though. Room to grow. Um, <laughs> Dave, just to come to you quickly, probably the last overly negative thing from the game, hopefully. Paul Joyce just tweeted, uh, Liverpool fear Costa Simicus has suffered a suspected broken collarbone. Uh, and you know what? When, when mm. I'm sorry for putting in. Yeah. When, you, when you watch the replay on that, he, he had already hit the deck with his shoulder before he hit Klopp. And the way it's being laughed off as if it was something, you know, oh, it was okay because, you know, it's just one of those things. Klopp just happened to be stood there. That's what's made it. It wasn't. If Klopp had been sat on the bench, he'd have been needing hospital after that. And I don't know how we didn't. I still don't know why that wasn't a yellow myself. At least. Yeah, that was a blatant yellow card. Mm -hmm. Like, it's a blatant shove by Saka with only the intention to hurt a player. There's, n- there's no other mm-hmm. reason you'd shove like that there. Um, and it was fairly obvious straight away that it was something quite serious. Uh, you could see as Costas was being tended to that he was in a lot of pain. And then mm-hmm. when he stood up, you could tell that it, it was either collarbone or shoulder. Something was gone. Yeah. And then obviously we got the, the commentator saying he's been taken to the hospital. That's, Immediately, you're thinking, okay, that's definitely something's going to have him out for the next couple of months. Yeah, I think Robbo's reportedly back January, isn't he? So the two young lads haven't looked the greatest at left back, but what is it? Burnley next, the Newcastle? So maybe Gomez against Newcastle, one of the young lads against Burnley? Yeah. Yeah, I, and I, I, I thought Gomez did well, pretty well at left back. I mean, oh, I could still make complaints here and there, but I thought he did really well. Um, and I think it's fortuitous in a way that in the League Cup game the other day we gave him a half on each side of the, you know, each side of the back four. Um, it, it worked out. It worked out quite well. So that little bit of extra, a little bit of a run out just in advance. I think it suits him actually playing on the left as a, as a left back, um, especially when he realises that he can actually shoot with his right foot. The goal's coming. <laughs> it's coming eventually. Uh, right. Anyway, into the good stuff. And Dave, I'll come to you. As you've mentioned a few times, we did start playing from about 10, 15 minutes in. Um, and it starts with Endo doing a really nice pass out of Diaz. And I did mention the last negative thing, but it, it's kind of where the story began with Diaz. Like, he gets isolated with their fullback, which is Ben White. I mean, he's fine, but he's not exactly... Maldini, um, and he just never looks to do anything other than win a corner, which he does. Yeah, that's that's literally the only thing he does because because he's not like he's not an elite attacking fullback. He just isn't. 
he's a, he's comfortable on the ball, but more so in his own half. He does well down there right because they've got Odegaard and Saka, who are both elite players who draw defenders and create a lot of space for Ben White. But you wouldn't be overly concerned about Ben White rampaging into your half. Um, you know, it's just... We we gave him some opportunities early on, I thought, to get forward, and we didn't pin him back well enough. Yeah, that's the thing. That is the thing. I think we we just didn't... Everything seemed to be down the right. Like, Trent obviously favours that side, but he was playing as the quarterback, centre-back type thing, where he was most effective. Dom was dominant on the right-hand side, but Jones was doing a fair bit on the left, I thought. Um, but, yeah, the left-hand side just didn't really get involved at all and when more you kind of want to attack Zinchenko because he's the weaker one but you do need to mix it up now and again um yeah so our first chance Jim on 13 minutes where Gakpo it's like a wishful wantful cross Gakpo heads it on to more probably should do better but it's a difficult angle but it's a bit of a shit finish are you that person who has everything? The coolest merch and those must-have fan threads? Well, over at our Anfield Index shop, we've gone that extra mile when it comes to pimping up your Liverpool collection. From our popular range of bespoke design t-shirts, sweaters, hoodies and hats, to our signature edition mugs, prints and coasters, all provided with fast worldwide shipping. We have something for every red. We also stock official LFC merchandise, and a license with the Premier League and UEFA to sell official iron-on shirt badges and sleeve patches. As a listener to this podcast, you can get 10% off everything with coupon code AIPRO10. Just head over to anfieldindex.shop or find us on Etsy by searching for Anfield Index. I mean, I, I'm just about to have a go at Mo Salah for his finishing and I can't even unmute a microphone, but I, I think this has been a bit of a worry with Mo recently is... I mean, I don't know. I mean, I don't know what the stats are, and sometimes things can seem worse than they are. And here I am being negative again. Um, but you know, he, he he's not he's not finishing the way he used to do, all with one huge exception today. Um, you know, and this this is another example. There was an example in midweek when he uh, Nunez hit the post and it came out to Salah, and you just think any other any other time Salah would have scored that, and he didn't. Um, and this seems to be happening a lot, which is a little bit of a worry, but. Um, it's not a massive worry in the sense that we won't have him soon anyway, so let's make the most of him when we've got him. But um, it was a sign of intent, I think. I think that was maybe, this is the point, was it, where we really started, um, I don't know, to wake up, whatever you want to call it, to start looking like we're actually interested in getting something out of this game. Um, and maybe having the confidence to think we can get something out of this game. Maybe, I don't know, maybe we'd over overhyped how good they were in our own minds or something. I don't know. We just seemed timid to me until then. Um, but I think this was this was the point where... You know, he kind of showed us that there's there's ways through this lot. There's ways we can do it. And I think, to be fair to, to Mo, you sort of don't expect him to miss too many like that. Yeah, probably should do better. Should do better. Um, my next note, Mo tries to dribble like three people. Should have passed it to Dominic when we were breaking on the right-hand side. But Dave, my next note, handball fucking surely. Because Martin Odegaard decides to have a cheeky bit of basketball. I mean, Dave, you, I saw you on Twitter and obviously on WhatsApp. It's a scandalous decision. It's a disgraceful decision. And I don't care that he slipped. 
the re- him slipping is not the reason he handled the ball. He handled the ball because his hand was down there. It is a scandalous decision. It is a blatant handball. I don't know how the referee is looking at it, how he doesn't see it, and then how doesn't the VAR interject? Like, how do you look at that and not think that's an unnatural position for his hand to be in? And the fact is, he scoops the ball as well. He like, plays he doesn't for it, just doesn't he? He, hit he plays his hand. for the ball with his hand. He actually moves his hand with it's it's a it's a shambles of a decision, and it reminds me of last season at the Emirates where Diogo Jota goes into their box on the right hand side, lifts the ball over Gabriel. Gabriel has his hand up doing some sort of big bird impression and slaps at the ball, and we don't get the decision because it wasn't or it was it, it was deemed an accidental handball from a natural position there's nothing natural about where these arms are but that's two years in a row now they have been gifted a refereeing decision two years in a row it's an absolute shambles and it's constant with them like what? i yeah. i you'll rarely see a referee and a and a team of officials be as heavily one-sided on 50-50s as that referee was in their favour today. And then you have this blatantly obvious handball and they they don't get punished for it. If that was us, that's a blatant, that's a certainty of a penalty and none of us could have complained. Not one of us could have complained if it had been given against us. But the fact is they get favourable decisions on a regular basis. And the reason they do is because the fella in their dugout cries all the time about how unfairly they're treated. And because they had one iffy decision go against them with Ivan Tony last season, they're now getting away constantly. Like, against United, they got gifted a goal when Gabriel clearly fouls Johnny Evans, who then can't get out to Declan Rice, and Rice scores and they go on and win the game. That goal should have been ruled out. There's been a couple of more this season, but that's another blatantly obvious one. This can't be that hard, refs. This can't be that hard. You've got eyeballs, and now you've got you've got replay. Like at the very least, he should have been told to go and look at the replay. That, it's that so blatantly yeah. obvious. It's actually yeah. sickening. I, I can see I can see occasions when you get decisions like this, and you hear pundits, ex-refs. The likes of us argue yes and no against it, and you know you can sort of half half imagine you know why people are saying it wasn't a pen and the accidental stuff and stuff. But that's because then you, you start looking at all the angles and you say, hang on, yeah, there, there's a doubt here that that should have been a pen. Surely there is enough of a doubt there to say um, either either in the VAR room to say no, I'm convinced it was a pen, or ah, you might have missed something here, ref, and I think you better go and have another look. And that's the frustration for me. You know, the screen's there for a reason. Um, if it's an absolutely blatant penalty that no one in the world can argue with, you don't even need to send it to the screen. Um, but in situations like this, send it to the screen, let the ref have another look. And it just smacks again as the guy in the VAR room defending his mate out on the pitch. You know, they must have a absolutely. little tally of favours for each other. To be honest, Jim, I think it's in that secondary category. I don't even think it should be sent to the screen. I think that's obvious. That's well, a good yes, tackle in it, basketball. It, it is obvious, and that's what I'm saying. It, it, it's obvious, and, and it's, I'm always giving them a get-out by saying at least go to the screen with it. But, yeah, it looked to me – I mean, I, I don't know. It's the sort of thing 
the sort of thing you see when the when the whistle's already gone and they just try and catch the ball. Yeah. You know, it's that it, it was an obvious play for the ball. And if he'd if he'd have lost the pen, the player would have had his head in his hands and everything. But he would have had his head in his hands because he knew he'd had a moment of madness and given away a pen because it, it wasn't a bad decision. If it had been a pen, it wouldn't have been a bad decision. And the knock-on effect of that is Odegaard gets a booking 10 minutes after this, I think. Obviously, same. it won't be the exact same game, but then he's playing on a yellow card for much longer. Their midfield's getting played through quite a lot, especially the second half. Probably from this moment onwards, we dominant in the whole game, really. Um, well, till the subs. So it makes him play different. Saka... I not, can't remember the time Simicast got injured, 32. Saka should have got booked there, and then he was should have probably got another booking on that one where he slipped, which is another great excuse for nearly two-footing someone. Oh, that's so, mad. Yeah. Because aren't you supposed to be in control? You know, and I think you, you're not in control if you slip like that. That's not just an, an innocuous slip, but... Yeah. Uh, just... Nonsense, absolutely nonsense. But yeah, Odegaard probably lucky to stay on because that's a, that's a stonewall yellow. That pen uh, or should be pen. Saka lucky again. Uh, just such a frustrating. And the annoying thing is, I think Chris Kavanagh is one of the better refs usually, or one of the less offensive refs. Because I think we were all worry, worried going into the City game about him because he's from Manchester and he had a perfectly great game, <clears throat> or perfectly fine game, I should say. It just every there's never one referee where you just go dependable because next time we have Chris Kavanagh, I'll remember this Arsenal game. Yeah, yeah, he's probably been absolutely bollocked by his uh, the locals in his pub, which is I think five miles away from the Etihad for you know going hard enough on Liverpool in that last game. So he's probably felt he needs uh, even the score of it. I mean, I am joking, but then none of that sounds far fetched, really, does it either? No, no. And how how rarely do you get the crowd shouting "you mank bastard" at a referee? He <laughs> 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 uh, got to that stage; it was crazy. Anyway, um, my next note is uh, no, it's the goal actually. Christ, almost missed a biggie there, uh, Dave. Coming to you first. I mean, you have obviously issues with with Trent in the in this system, but this is this is the pro of it because mm. he's he's our quarterback. I, I'm agree. I don't like the false right back thing, but if we find a place in midfield, maybe a diamond or whatever, this is what he can do because that is a sensational all oh, yeah. timer pass. My issue isn't with Trent. My issue is with, with what happens around Trent. Mm-hmm. And I thought for spells in that first half, we were far too passive because everything was been passed to Trent rather than other players taking a bit of responsibility. My issue is how it has a negative knock-on effect on players like Sabozlai, who's now asked to be a defensive midfielder down the right-hand side mm-hmm. and play as a wing-back. Uh, my issue is you know, how much Kanate is being asked to do. The fact that today he had to man-mark Martinelli and also help out on Jesus. That's what my issue is. It's not Trent. Because, like you said, we could just move Trent into midfield and play him there and play a box midfield with a back four and just play two up front because currently we don't have three players good enough to warrant playing a front three. Mm -hmm. And he showed the range of passing. Obviously, he came on against West Ham and he played a ludicrous assist while falling over. And then today, that, that pass is just incredible. Like, 
I know Zinchenko is not the best defensive player in the world, but it wouldn't matter who you had at left back there. You could have David Alaba in his prime and he was still getting done up like a kipper with that pass. The, the weight, the fade on it, it's absolutely perfect. And from there, it's it's brilliant by Salah. And as we were talking about in the WhatsApp group with Rory and, and Joe and Stu and and the lads, you're you're looking at it and you're thinking, that's the Mo goal. Like, that's the goal he always used to score. And as Stu said, it feels like it's been about 18 months since we saw him score that type of goal where he stands the full back up, beats them on the inside and just beats the keeper with, with power rather than, you know, he's been hesitant to take the full back on at times. You know, and he, he when he starts to come back outside, he almost takes too many touches and comes too far out and mm-hmm. ends up having to clip across to the back post. Whereas today, like, that is just, that is vintage Mo Salah, and it, it's a stunning goal, absolutely stunning goal. From the pass from Trent to Salah to the strike, it's just brilliant. Yeah, Jim, same same for you. It's a sensational pass, sensational finish. And it when we play with pace and a bit of directness, it's what we can do. You get more isolated rather than cutting into free players. It's just that's what I want that's what I want this Liverpool team to be. It's what it used to be. Just directness, like a Van Dyke diagonal, a Trent smashed pass like that. It's what I want us to be. But that is bloody sensational, that goal. Yeah, and it just turns the game around, doesn't it? I mean they they you know they they're trying to attack, and when you when you can get passes like this, it can it can change defense into attack so quick. And um, what I also like when you watch the replays, I mean, obviously you're focusing on Salah, but when you look, uh, I think it was Gakpo had got into a great position on the edge of the box, and that meant Salah actually had a choice. You know, he could do what he did, and I'm glad he did. But he also had the the, the chance to pass to Gakpo, who was I think pretty much unmarked. And as long as Salah passed with anything remotely useful to to Gakpo, Gakpo probably would have scored. Um, and that all comes from that that ability that Trent's got to create those balls and that that knowingness, if you like, that um, sort of sense from Salah that it's worth him making that run. Because, I mean, as you're watching it in real time, you start to think, has he overhit that a bit? But he hadn't. It was so perfect. I mean, I don't play golf, but I can imagine people who play golf will talk about, you know, hitting balls like this. And um, it just, just, just was the perfect weight. Um, but the thing is, there was still work for Salah to do at the end of it. But the thing is, unless you make those passes, you know, on Salah's day, when Salah's playing to his best, that's the kind of stuff he can do. But he can't do it if you don't give him the chances to do it. And far too often, we've not done that. Um, I mean, I, I have been critical of Salah lately, and I'll probably be a little bit critical in some ways about some of his game today. But, mm-hmm. you know, he, he's such an amazing player. And that's the thing about Mo as well, I think. You can have games where you look back and you think, over 90 minutes... If you watched an edit of a game and you, and you edited out two goals that he'd scored, you'd think, God, what did he do in this game? Well, put the two goals back in and you realise what he did. You know, and it can be frustrating in a game to think he's done nothing, but you know he's one of those players who can, who can you know, make something out of nothing or he can make something out of something like tonight. Um, I mean, I think with Trent, is this... It quite clearly, if Trent was playing in midfield and we had a right-back, then that's the kind of thing Trent could do more often. I think... As, as Dave says, it's just this, it's just this halfway house. It's, it's not, it's just not, I, I think, I mean, I'm, I've been saying it for a while now, we've got to stop the experiments. And I think, to me, I think as the game went on, it looked like Trent was sticking out to the right a lot more. And I wonder, 
I do wonder, because it's happened in previous games, I do wonder if maybe the plan had been today that Gomez would come on later on as right back and Trent would move into a more central position, um, you know, full time. I just think there was a talk as well. I heard someone mentioned he's kind of playing more of a centre-back role at times, and that, that would make some sense with Trent to get him, to allow him to sort of play in the middle, but to know he's got to get back and cover and join part of the back four, maybe in a slightly different position to normal, but at least cover it. But to do that, you've got to have whichever centre-back's being pushed out there able to do it. And I think, you know, that's that's asking a lot of Ibu because it's generally him um, to be doing all that extra work. Although, I mean, let's mention him now as well. Ibu today... Yeah, I was going to bring him up. I think he was, I think he was outstanding. I mean, he's, he's maturing as a player. He's, he's getting better, in my view. And... You know, but again, you know, I think what do we get? We have Trent. Is he a right back? Is he midfield? And we kind of ended up with a jack of all trades, master of none, if we're not careful. Um, we've seen it. McAllister being played where he shouldn't be played, and we're getting a weaker version of McAllister. You know, we don't end up with a weaker version of Ebu. But you know, over time, maybe it'll work out. But I think when, when Liverpool have, have games, and this has happened for years and years and years, you know, you see where the fullbacks might swap size after a corner, and they stay, they stay on that side, and it kind of does sometimes sort of catch the other side out a little bit because it's not in the game plan that they've had, it's not in their expectations. But you can make these changes for little spells in games now and again and surprise the opposition. But there's no team coming to Anfield that hasn't got a game plan that says. For the bits where Trent's in the middle, do this. For the bits where Trent's out wide, do that. They know he's going to be one or both at some point Don't in the game. Don't let so him pass. For it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, what? I mean, I mean, it was. I mean, God, these passes. These are. If it was, can you imagine when he was David Beckham and everyone was like losing themselves over that in the press about how Beckham was with his passing and. Yeah. I don't know. He's, he's on another level. We're lucky to have him. Um, it feels like. Don't want to waste him. That's the. It feels like he's obviously a Liverpool fan. He gets all the praise, but it don't, generally, like even today, they'll, they'll wank on about him being shit defensively. And see, like, you see him today. He, he, he did some fine. amazing stuff yeah. today when he needed to. It's like we have a generational player. Don't care about the. Well, I do care about defense, but just say player. We have one of the generational English who usually get nothing but praise and security from everyone in English media whether it's uh, newspapers yeah. etc and, and they just can't pick faults when you look at the stuff he can do it's like he's a generational player if he was playing for Arsenal doing what he does for us he'd be you know he'd have his own statue in London by now if, he was, if he was Fleet playing Street for United be, yeah if he yeah. was playing for United Gary Neville, who Gary Neville is responsible for most of the narrative around Trent, mm-hmm. because Gary Neville for years has nitpicked at everything Trent has done defensively, as if Gary Neville was Paolo Maldini or Lillian Turam. Gary Neville was the weak link in a Manchester United back four for pretty much his entire career. Gary Neville's wondering what he's going to take his. There. Gary Neville's worrying someone's going to take his title of best ever English right back off him, but he didn't have the title to start with. No, well, that's the thing. He didn't like Gary Neville has as many caps as he does because Rob Jones got injured mm-hmm. and no other reason. But Trent, you go back and you watch our team in 1819, 1920, and 21-22, when for those three years, we had the best defence in England. And in two of those years, we had the best defensive record across all top five European countries. You cannot 
cannot have that good a defensive record if you've got a liability in your team. You can't. Trent, he was never a great defender, but he was an average defender capable of having good defensive games who also happens then to be the greatest attacking fullback that the game has ever seen. And it's not even close. Like, he is lapping the field. And you can put up Danny Alves' assist numbers all you want. If all Trent had to do was pass it five yards to Messi, he'd have gotten 30 assists a season. So I don't want to hear about Danny Alves. I don't want to hear about Cafu or Carlos or any of them. None of them could do what Trent can do, but he could do what all of them could do. This is, without doubt, the most talented English player of this entire generation. Yeah. The fella in midfield for them today had a good game, but it was just a good game. He was no better than Endo, you know? And yet, we're going to hear about how he's transformed Arsenal. Like, Jamie Carragher said he was the most important player to his team in the league recently. A bargain. This idea that he's come in, a bargain at 105 million. Can I just point (laughs) out, we hear all this talk that Manchester City have fallen off from last season. If City win their next game, they'll be five points worse off than they were after 18 games last season. Arsenal are currently six points worse off than they were after 18 games. So what transformation have they have they had? They score less, they concede more than this time last year. Rice is a good player. He, at, at times, a very good player. Trent is a great player. And what Trent did today and what Trent does every single game is far more impressive than what Rice does. The, the, the English players that should be held aloft above everybody are Trent, Bakayo Saka, Jude Bellingham and Phil Foden. Plus, of course, Harry Kane, but he's he's older than the rest. He's obviously a very special player, best nine in the world. But those other four They should be held aloft and protected by the English media because we've all watched England play for years and years and years. And we've seen a lot of great players come through the English ranks and do very well. We've never had as unique a talent come into the England team. And I say we, you have never had such a unique talent come into the England team as Trent who can do what he does from that position. It is incredible to me that he is not held as the standard that English footballers should be looking to get to. All this nonsense. Phil Foden has completed football. He's done this and this and this. Yeah, Trent also has done all of that and was actually a really important part of all of that for his team as opposed to Phil Foden, who was a squad player in the league and Champions League last season. Trent was the driving force create, uh, creatively of his team when they won a European Cup and a league title and all do the pots and pans. And yet, you've just got this weird group of people that want to disparage him. Kieran Trippier has gifted four goals and missed a penalty in a shootout in the last two and a bit weeks. And we had national journalists say that we should feel sorry for him because he's tired. (laughs) 
Trent isn't tired. What the fuck is that about? Like, how many games well, is Trent played? There's played, just a you know, weird narrative around Trent, and I blame Neville for all of it. He, he, he is. He's, he's sort of. He'd love to be. He would love to be. Um, he would love to be um, Alexander Arnold. He'd love to do what Trent does. He'd love for his career to be. Um, look back on in the same way. Yeah, everyone looks back, and I'm sure. You think the same guy that everyone looks back at Neville as the kind of he was he was almost in there because he was the local lad. He was sort of he wasn't the best player by any means, and maybe what got him through was passion more than anything. Um, and how he got into England so often, I don't know. Don't care. It's only England. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there's players in in every team. Maybe that are like that. And and the thing is, maybe maybe Trent has got that side to him. He's a local lad. He's got the passion. But the thing is, he's got all of that skill on top. All of those skill sets. Well, it's weird for me because I did see a fair amount on Neville, but his peak must have been, what, 98 to 2004? Something like that. So my main trend comparison is probably Kyle Walker, and I know he has the exceptional speed and stuff like that, but I've never seen... I've not seen many footballers be able to do what Trent does, never mind a right-back. And I know, Dave, you always mention Zanetti and the greats and stuff like that. But in terms of my Premier League viewing, I mean, the best other full-backs is like Ashley Cole, etc. So there's no one I can compare him to. He's just a sensational footballer. There hasn't been one in England. What Trent is, he's like a cross between Zanetti at right-back and Juan Veron in midfield. Mm. But he can do both. And he has the best of everything. He's also quicker than either of them. And he's a better crosser than either of them. Like, he's a really special player. And it it infuriates me that he is not protected more. Like, if he played for any other club, I genuinely think the media narrative around him would be so different. So, so Stephen Gerrard got a lot of... Well, he, he was up and down, but he, he was he was kind of loved by the English press as an England player. But I mean, maybe that's the you know, and he's, I'm not I'm not criticising him for this, but for so much of his career, he was kind of um, touted as going to be a Chelsea player or wherever. And there was always this idea that at some point he was going to leave Liverpool and and you know leave, leave boring old Liverpool behind and go and join one of the London clubs. Um, but he didn't. But he was an amazing player. But you know what? We never. To my, in the best of my, to the best of my knowledge, we never, we saw him play at right back. Champions League final was one example of that. We saw him play in various places in midfield. We saw him play as a, uh, you know, up front. We, we saw him play in so many different places, but we never, ever, from the best of my knowledge, asked him to play in two positions at once. And I think that that's the crux of what's what's winding me up with with Trent uh, really at the moment is. Um, we can argue whether his best positions as a midfielder or as a right back. Why argue that both both good roles for him? He's good at both. He's really good in both places. He can probably play in other places as well. Um, we've just got to, to me, for each game at least, say this is where you're playing. By all means, change it later on. But you know, don't expect him to do two jobs at once. And when he is doing two jobs at once, you know, and you know what what what's expected of him then from as a defender? It's it's not his fault if he's in the middle of the pitch when there's a break and he's not in the right back role anymore, it's not his fault. And the thing is, time and time again, we see him come back, do some covering, maybe slot into where the centre-back would be that's, that's moved out of the way to cover his place. And he makes the last ditch tackle that, and he's done it today, he makes the last ditch tackle that, um, you know, probably prevents a goal. Yeah. Dave, this conversation started about Ebu. <laughs> <laughs> um, I put it in WhatsApp 
I think he might be the most underrated player in the world because nobody talks about him. Like we mentioned, no. Fred playing two roles, Ebu's playing two roles, and he does it yeah. against a really good Arsenal team. And he was per- based near perfection today. And like we, everyone wants on about Martinelli and Jesus. He locked them down. Yeah, yeah, completely took them out of the game. He is phenomenal. He is, in my opinion. If everybody's fit and everybody's playing at their best level, he is the second best centre-back in the Premier League. Mm. When you look at his skill set and what he's capable of doing, yes, he's a little bit rudimentary on the ball. But I don't care because our right-back is the best in the world on the ball and our left-side centre-back is incredible on the ball and our goalkeeper's good on the ball. So I don't need him to be great on the ball. I just need him to be rudimentary, to give it to the right person at the right time, which he does 97 times out of 100. He is dominant in the air. He is incredible 1v1. He's fast. He's strong. You cannot beat him for pace. I don't care who you are. Do you remember when we played Benfica in the Champions League in Ibu's first season and Darwin was playing left wing? And there was a long ball hit over the top. And Darwin, as we know, is lightning. And Ibu didn't just keep up with him. Ibu gave him a head start and caught him. (laughs) And I remember watching that and thinking, this kid, this is Yap Stam. Like, I I think if you look at the history of the Premier League, Yap Stam is one of the three best centre-backs to play in the Premier League, along with Virgil and Paul McGrath. And there's others that would then fit in after them, Adams and Campbell and Carvalho, but that's not the point. I think I think stylistically, skill set wise and ceiling wise, if Ibu can stay fit, his ceiling is Yapstam. He is that good. And he is a pure defender. And at times you need a pure defender. And don't get me wrong, Ruben Diaz is a very good centre back. He spends a little bit too much time lying on the floor for my liking, but he's a very good centre-back. But Ibu's as good or better in the air. Ibu's as good or better a covering defender. Ibu's quicker, and Ibu's better 1v1. Now, Diaz might be slightly better as a passer of the ball, but I look at the whole side of it, like from a defensive point of view, how do you defend? And I just don't see anybody in the league other than Virgil who's better than Ibu. And you can look around Europe and there's not a whole lot either. The only knock on Ibu is he gets injured. And a big part of why he gets injured is because of what we ask him to do. Like if we were to play a mid block rather than a high line and he was just able to defend 35 yards from goal the way Rio Ferdinand and John Terry and those did many years ago, he would it'd be a cigar and slippers job for him to play in this league. He's that good. Yeah, and considering the wanking over the other French centre-back, it's just very weird. Very weird indeed. But again, I think if if Ibu was at Chelsea, I I think, again, it'd be so differently viewed. But anyway, we are on 50 minutes and not in the second half, so I've done a trev. So I will finish up the first (laughs) half. Um, Right. uh, 
Saka foul on Simicast gets injured, we mentioned that. Uh, Odegaard finally gets booked. Gomez plays a free ball, have it. Saka and Martinelli screw up a huge chance for Arsenal. We didn't get to see it because they were showing us a replay. Thank you, Sky. Um, but that was a huge opportunity for them and probably the last one they had for a little while at least, or a big chance at least. Um, Jones <laughs> has a lovely dive. Uh, Endor gets booked. Havertz gets booked. That's basically half time there. Um, Just before that, there was uh, yeah. I took a note. Gomez um, running towards the goal. Um, he's on the left hand side. He's sort of moving inwards a little bit. So it's like at perfect territory to have a go at goal with your right foot. And he looked yes. like he didn't think he yeah, could yeah. and passed it. And I just thought, go on, Joe, just have a go. And he did in the second half. He started shooting yeah. all the bloody time. <laughs> Definitely all word. Uh, um, into the second half, then. Um, we have a chance on the break. Dom screws up uh, a pass to Moore. Rice gets booked. Odegaard, Odegaard gets cut, uh, caught on the ball. Endo done really well. Uh, then the break, uh, attack breaks down. Um, Jim, just coming to you, I mean, Endo's a weird one because when we signed him, I think everyone was a bit like who, apart from people who've watched Japan. Um Obviously, he had a weird start to his Liverpool career. Most people thought he'd probably just be a backup. But I think he's, these last month, week, couple of weeks, I think he's been bloody excellent. And today, I thought he was really good again. Hello. I'm here to annoy you. I'm here to annoy you into listening to more of me and more of others on EPL Index. We don't just have the Anfield Index stuff. We've got EPL Index as well, which covers the entirety of the Premier League. And we have three podcasts and a whole bunch of really good writing on EPLindex.com. The podcasts are my own two-footed podcast, which is every day at 4 p.m., Monday through Friday, covering the whole league. We have a Tad Predictable hosted by Tadiwa. You know Tadiwa. He does Anfield Index. He presents a Tad Predictable before every Premier League match week. And then Kevin DeVries and his crew on the EPL roundtable there every week after the Premier League match week. So make sure you listen to everything we're doing on EPL Index and follow us there on Twitter at EPL Index. Thank you. Bye-bye. Yeah, and I think, I mean, I said, I can't remember when I said it a few weeks ago, he's the kind of player where you see him be good in games and then you see him have spells where he's not so good and you think, ah, you know what, which version of Endo is going to turn up today is something I actually said and, Maybe I, maybe I misjudged him because maybe I'm sort of comparing him to players you've had in the past that have been the kind of, you know, they've come in for a fee that's not your first choice defensive midfielder fee kind of thing. Um, a bit of a bargain. And, and straight away, just that fee makes you feel they're a backup, they're not the main man. And you're sort of expecting someone else to come in and be that main man. Um we had spells where we didn't see a lot of him. He didn't seem to play. And we wondered, you know, you start to wonder, was it a mistake? Is he not, not right for us? But, you know, this is what sometimes happens with new signings at Liverpool. We don't see a lot of them early on because they're going through the um, the boot camp. You know how to stay fit enough and keep up with what goes on with a Liverpool, in a Liverpool game. The last few games, you're right. He's been he's been solid, hasn't he? I mean, I think when you talk about, I mean, when you talk about Van Dijk and Ebu and Van Dijk's amazing passing and Ebu's not quite the same with his passing but the thing is Ibu's got a job to do his main job is defending and he does it so well I think this is the same with Endo maybe you know maybe it's not his job to do loads and loads of sort of game changing passes and all the rest of it he's the one who, who saves the game he's the one who breaks things up he's the one who gets the ball um, 
he never puts a foot wrong. And I think there were almost spells today where I sort of didn't notice him and I didn't notice him as much because he was just doing what he needs to do. He's just doing it quietly. Um, I'm really pleased with what sort of play we've got out of him. I think if he can keep this way, um, I'm not saying we don't need another sort of defensive midfielder because it's a, it's a game, of, it's a squad game, it's a rotation game. We only had four subs today who you would expect to, you know, be possible swaps for who started. Yeah. And you need, you need to have a backup, but if he is, but could he be the person who's the main man rather than the backup? I think if we can get another one as good as him, that'll be what we need. Um, if we can get someone better by all means, but, you know, it's the least, you know, it's not a glamorous job that you do in that position. Um, you know, the glamorous jobs is what Trent's doing. It's what Van Dyke does with his passing. It's what Mo does, what Nunez does. They're all the, you know, what, what Dominic does. They're the glamorous parts of the, of the, of the game for us. But he, he does that sort of less gram, glamorous, but so vital part of the game. And he does it well. I've, I've been, yeah, I've been impressed with him. Yeah, Dave, coming to you on end, I mean, he's obviously started to come into his own a little bit, but I think the knock-on effect is that once we get McAllister back, if Endo is now trusted to start games against our teams like Arsenal, means McAllister can then be rotation with Jones, presumably, and then Gravenberg, knock-on effect, could rotate with, well, be the backup to um, to Dom, which seems like the ideal situation for me. Um... Yeah, I mean, that that's what would make sense. I mean, Gravenberg clearly, if he's going to play in midfield, he needs to have two workers in with him because he's not going to do any of the work. So you would play him in the more attacking role, which is Dominic's role. The issue is Dominic is an absolute monster off the ball. Yeah. And Gravenberg is atrocious off the ball. So even at that, we'd still be losing a significant amount, even with a kind of a defensive setup behind him. Endo, like, he played played very well today. Very, very well. Um, but he is a backup. Like, he's backup calibre at a club like ours. He'll give you a performance like today, and he had a really good game against West Ham, but, like, he was dreadful against Palace, for example. Mm. So, you know, you, there's just too much variance in the performance from him. Um, and then, like you said, Alexis and and Curtis for the other role is perfect. And, like, for me, I'd be looking at it and thinking, okay... Dominic and Alexis are the starting eights, but Curtis should be the backup for both of them. Yeah. Because I'd rather Alexis, if if we if Dominic was out, I'd rather Alexis go into Dominic's role and be the more attack-minded one and Curtis have that left-sided role. Or you could play Curtis in the more attacking role because naturally he is a more attack-minded midfielder than what we see of him. But... Endo, like like Jim said, sometimes you, you, you get lads on the cheap and he's had an up and down start. You know, he had some poor performances, he's had some very good performances. All we can ask from him is to do what he did today, which is to be really, really busy, to be really aggressive, to harry people, to win his challenges and to use the ball well. And I thought, especially to like the last two games that he's played today, tonight and Wednesday, I do think he's used the ball particularly well. Wednesday he was he was more progressive because there was a bit more space for him to move into. But I thought today he was every bit as good as Declan Rice. I've just seen someone say Declan Rice one of the finest performance at An- performances at Anfield I've ever seen. Unbelievable <laughs> to be honest. What have you just watched? 
I don't remember much about Declan Rice today, I'll be honest. No, what did he just watch? Like, the commentators were very much trying to big him up. There was the there was one moment in the first half where a ball got floated in and Cody had made a run into the box completely unmarked and missed his header because he jumped underneath it. And Rice was behind him. And the commentator was like, Rice tracking the run there. No, he didn't. <laughs> No, he didn't. The cross was just overhead. If the ball had been the right height for Cody, he scores and Declan Rice is three yards away. Mine, like the 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 chance we had, the Trent hit the crossbar. Who was it that backpedaled frantically from the halfway line all the way into his home box and invited mm. us? It was Declan Rice. That's not good. He, all the good things Rice does. We saw early in the game and then later in the game when Arsenal got a little bit more control when Gravenberg came on, that boundless energy, his box-to-box play. But we let him off the hook as well because he got booked today. And I didn't feel like we really challenged him after that. I didn't feel like we really... Because Dominic ran by him a couple of times first half. And I thought if we could have gotten the ball to Dominic or even Curtis running at him after he'd been booked, there was a real opportunity there to try and get him sent off. Now, of course, he's a nice English boy, so he'd never get a second yellow card. But at the same time, it would have at least put some pressure on him. I I don't think he was any better than Endo today, personally. You know, both of them had good games, but that's maybe the most most hyperbolic statement I've ever seen. That's ridiculous. What's the price difference between them? Does it it sound right? It doesn't sound right. Um, 85 mil? Yeah. Endo was what eighteen, and Somewhere. Rice was one hundred and five. Yeah. So yeah, eighty-seven million. Like, there's no way that he's an eighty. He's, he's not eighty-seven million. Like <laughs> again, his team are six points worse off than they were last season, and the team he left are significantly better than they were at this point last season. So I know it's nothing to do with him, but still, like, he's not this massively impactful player that people try and make him out to be. He's just a good to very good footballer, one of many who's overhyped because he's English. Let's be fair. If, if he was German or Italian or French, he wouldn't be a £105 million footballer. He'd be what he's worth, 50, 55, that kind of range, which is still a good to very good footballer. And at that price, he'd be happy to have Declan Rice. If, we, if, if he'd been £55 million in the summer, I would have liked us to get him and have Dominic and him as our eights either side of a six but yeah. at 105 million it's laughable stuff like and i'm just glad that our scouts don't judge players on um how handy they are for london-based press to get interviews with them because that seems to be the sort of barometer of how good a player is if uh if they're handy to get on an interview they don't have to get heights up say that jim we were linked with mason mountain summer <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, anyway. oh, that was just a joke we wasn't really yes yeah, we weren't moved on at the it, moment, it was to make everyone else spend more money well, make Man United spend 55 mil on a lad who can't play football. Um, yeah, again, let's uh, compare Endo. Anyway, let's not. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right, where were we? Um, basically, all my next notes, Jim, are poor play, poor attacking play, poor final ball, sloppy play. One of them is just more, mate. <laughs> so I'm guessing, I think that's where he just did a uh, grass roller into the keeper. Um, but. Yeah. We had sustained pressure basically from the the second half till the substitutes, and 
we just never got that big opportunity or when, even if it was a half opportunity, it was just a shit shot. We mentioned Salah, um, his basically photogenic Mo Salah goal in the first half. But after that, every shot he took, it's what we've been dreading for the last month or so. It's just, he cuts in shit shot straight, curled easily into the arms of the goalkeepers. Like, put some power on a shot. I don't care if it goes in the crowd. At least threaten the fucking keeper. Yeah, and the thing is, if you put some power into a shot and the keeper can't hold it, it ricochets, then, you know, that, that there's someone there to mop up the pieces, or there should be. Um, yeah, you know, especially you, this keeper as well. He's kind of shit. Yeah, and you win corners, you win, um, you might win free kicks, you might get through, you keep the ball a lot of the time. Um, I mean, if, if you test the keeper, then, you've got the best chance I mean I whenever it in here Salah running forward ignores Trent loses ball that was on 55 minutes and that's the kind of thing I mean I'm sure there's more of these notes from me where I've written this sort of thing he feels like um, he's making the wrong decisions um, he's shooting when he should pass he's he's passing when maybe he could have had a shot but when he does pass he's sometimes passing a bit too late I mean I can't remember there was that break I'm not sure where what point in the game that was where it was like the red arrows coming down the pitch and just one maybe one defender for them and it was Mo running with the ball there was three people he could pass to and he passed to Trent and Trent hit the bar but yeah that was seven really, that one it, 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 was, it just took too long with the pass and he passed to the wrong player it he just felt you know the, the, these are the moments that are kind of frustrating but then you see him score the goals like he did and he kind of makes up for it, but you know we, we need to have less of those other moments because th- this, you know, he's not always going to get those magical moments. I mean, that was an amazing goal today. Yeah. But let's be honest, you, you don't get them every time, do you? He, he is our only forward who knows the offside rule as well, seemingly. Which well, is not not great. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, the offsides are frustrating. Although, did, but, there's, but there's many today. I mean, it, Darwin Gapo, wasn't long Gapo enough to had get a bad one. Yeah. I think, yeah, but Gapo didn't do anything really to do. And, uh, and, G- and Gapo didn't know the offside reel, as Dave was saying earlier on, for their goals. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Uh, Dave, do you want to mention anything on that spell before the subs where we just couldn't really get a big chance? We were we were just really good in that spell, though. Like, we were dominating the midfield. The issue was the front three. Mo did not play well. Like, he, he had some good moments in the first half and obviously scored a great goal. But his touch wasn't quite as where it normally is. His crossing was poor. His passing wasn't great. A couple of weak shots. And then in the second half, I, I mean, it genuinely it felt like someone else came out to play. Like he just, he could not do anything right for about 15 minutes. Every single thing he tried, he made a mess of. Mm. And the other two were just completely useless. But our midfield was exceptional. Yeah. And our back four were outstanding. Like Trent was really good. Gomez had Saka in his pocket. Ibu and Virgil were monstering all in front of them. Endo and Jones were just running over the midfield. Dominic was doing the same thing. And he was getting back to help out down our, our right side. But our front three just like you excuse Mo because he did score a great goal and he's Mo. He should have had an assist as well, to be fair. Yeah, yeah, but the other two really did let us down today. Not, They weren't the worst players that we had. There was one who was much, much worse. But the funny thing is, <laughs> in the first half, we had a moment where Ben White lost the ball up at our box and then fell on the floor and faked an injury. And we broke down the other end, and Mo tried to slip in Cody. And if Mo just got his head up, there was a simple ball across to Diaz, who's unmarked. 
And I do just wonder, like, little moments like that where someone else picks the wrong option and now, you know, that maybe would have changed Diaz's performance if he'd gotten a mm. goal. Because there were certain little things he did that looked really bright. And, like, even Gakpo, there was a couple of moments where he held the ball up really well against Saliba and, and looked looked to bring others in. And then it's just more and more inept muck, which is what we saw from them in the second half. Yeah, it was, unfortunately, and those performances did lead to um, the subs. Just to go through them, Elliot Darwin Grav came on for Diaz Gakpo Jones. Uh, Diaz did get hurt. I haven't seen anything mentioned uh, from Twitter notifications or in the chat on Discord, so I'm guessing it's not too serious, but I'm guessing we were thinking about subs anyway. But Elliot looked like a last-minute thing, but um, Dave's obviously alluded to them, Jim, but what, what did you make of those subs and how they changed the game going forward? Yeah, I'm not. I, I mean, I, I don't like digging players out, especially young players that have got plenty of time ahead of them. But I'm not sure what Gravenberg is meant to be doing at the moment. But he doesn't seem to be doing anything right. Um, I'm, you know, I've just been really disappointed with him in recent games. And I think the the sad thing is, as a manager, if you're the manager, you've got to look at this and think, right, well, what do I do? Do I do I keep him out of it for a while? Do I drop him? Do I do I try him? Because there's a good player in there. It's just he's just not. It's just not bringing it with him you know he's just not bringing that to the game with him um i can see why why they made the changes i mean i think as we said at the start we would have had nunez playing on the left from from the off if we met well many people i've spoken to as well would have said let's start with darwin out left so that one made sense um Diaz hopefully not injured but I think he would have been coming off anyway um the plays were already warming up to come on uh, stripping off to come on um and elliot i don't know whether the idea was for salad to move to the middle because elliot was so impressive in midweek on the right hand side and yeah. when the African Nations comes up maybe maybe there's some thinking and that's what he, what his role is going to be when Salah's out um, but it just I don't know it just took away we just, we've just spoken about how good the defence was and we've just spoken about how good the midfield was and it was a midfield that was and the defence that was making sure we had a bed to build on and, and creating things for the front three that the front three were messing up and maybe you know maybe that's that's the issue I mean Gapo and Diaz went off but we didn't sort of get massive improvements. I don't think Nunez really mm-hmm. got into the game. Elliot, again, just didn't really get into the game. And Gravenberg's just, if anything, weakened our midfield. And it feels like, you know, at that point in the game, that could have been the point where you change the game. You know, you bring those subs on and change the game. You've got fresh legs. I did feel that all the pressing we were doing, all the tackling we were doing, um, from that point on, it just seemed to disappear. Now, whether that was just the subs or whether that was just because we put so much into it for so much of that. We definitely time, slowed down on the ball as well, I think. Yeah, we just we just we just really slow. They couldn't cope with us. They could not cope with us when we were when we were pressing, when we were you know, when we were digging in the heels all the time, when we were just constantly, constantly winning the ball back. Over and over again, we were winning the ball back. Even when, you know, when the front three messed up and we lost it, the midfield had gone win it back again. Um, and when the midfield couldn't do it and he got to the back, you'd see, you know, um, Ibu tracking back, tracking back, tracking back and making the perfect tackle and off we go again. Um, it just all stopped with the subs. And I don't know whether it is just down to the personnel or whether there was some kind of tactical thing done to say it. Because it feels like, it's literally a line gets drawn between we're really good attacking and dangerous and we're not good at attacking and dangerous and if anything we're a bit vulnerable and that it just feels like there was a line drawn with those subs i don't need a vpn i've got nothing to hide (laughs) this is what i used to tell myself before i hooked up with libertyshield.com 
Not only is my home internet now fully encrypted, but I can now access all the websites I want, whenever I want, and do so from absolutely anywhere. As a Liverpool fan, I love to know I can now watch every match, regardless of whether it's on UK TV or not. My Liberty Shield VPN makes sure nothing is blocked and guarantees me super fast streaming speed throughout that match. You can get connected right now with their software package, which includes a 48-hour no-obligation free trial and instant access to their apps for Apple, Android, Fire TV, PC, Mac and Android TV. Or go a step further like I have and get one of their pre-configured VPN routers. These small but powerful devices allow you to easily connect every device in your home to VPN, making it the perfect solution for smart TVs, mag boxes and games consoles. Visit libertyshield.com today and use coupon code AIVPN25 to get 25% off at checkout. Yeah, Dave, anything you want to add? Um, yeah, I, I agree. Like, it, there was the moments we actually got Darwin involved, he actually made things happen, but we just didn't get him involved enough. And when Mo went central, he just looked completely lost, to be honest. Yeah. Um, he looked knackered as well. Like, he he genuinely looked tired. But, you know, it is what it is. Like, the, we played basically with nine men for chunk of the game because the two boys up front were so poor but at least they were working like yeah. Diaz at least was tracking back he was giving a dig out to Costas and then Gomez uh, Gakpo was dropping into midfield and he was pressuring Rice and you know doing kind of uh, not a particularly good version of it but a version of what Bobby used to do but when the other fella came on like uh, Jesus Christ like there's literally nothing you could say about his performance that was good. Nothing. Every single part of it was horrendous. His first touch was abysmal. His dribbling, which is the only thing he does really well other than he's got a great first touch, was poor. He was lazy. His body language is atrocious. He's standing around. The only time he actually broke into a sprint was in that 4v1. That's it. Other than that, he was loping, or as my mother-in-law would say, slithering about the place. It, that is, as like, he gave the, he had, I think he completed eight of 12 passes, gave the ball away six times. Sitting on the pitch 20 minutes, how do you give the ball away six times? And like everything was bouncing off him. He shit himself out of a couple of tackles. He was a little bit lucky not to get injured by Saka when he slipped, but, you know, he, he still shit out of the tackle. Go in and fucking level him. Or go in and make him kick you. He's already been booked. Go in and take his fucking yellow for the team. Or let him take a yellow. You know, take the kick. But, I don't know, like, that that fella's not for me at all. Like, he's, he is, he's worse than I thought he was going to be. I thought the talent would override a lot of the negatives, but it's not even coming close. And as I said before, we spent years saying Jurgen Klopp had never signed a Paul Pogba, but he has a less talented version of one. So, you know, it's a little wonder that the game petered out when that's what you bring on to replace a guy in Curtis who was playing so well and bringing such energy and intensity to our team. 
Yeah, it does worry me. I mean, especially with McAllister injured, Tiago injured, and probably others. I mean, Besetic injured. It's one of those. Yeah. Graven Bates come from the academy, and you know, same kind of age, come through the academy. Been loads of hype about him because people who'd seen the academy play, the under twenty threes play, and all the rest of it thought he was great. And he'd come into the squad and been given the chances he's been given now. There'd be no sort of complaints about him quietly dissolving back into the academy, would there? You know, it's that that's how bad he's been since he came, and that's that's a worry. There is still time for him to come good, but you know, f- for the money we paid, it shouldn't be taking this long, and it shouldn't be this bad when he's not. You know, when I say come good, I mean really, I mean come brilliant. <laughs> you know, he's not anywhere near coming good yet. Yeah, well, forty million. I know we've spent big on some players in recent years, but he must be in our top ten transfers, surely. Yeah, I mean, maybe, maybe, I'm me touch. Bit, yeah. maybe I'm losing me touch with the value of money because I was dragged around the shops today and I saw a turkey <laughs> for 180, 118 quid for a turkey. Oh. And I, I was, it thought, was it massive? <laughs> it didn't look that big to me. I mean, my God. Um, not, I mean, it, yeah, I'm, that's why I don't go shopping. Um, I'm a vegetarian after seeing that, I'll tell you. But what, what's really concerning to me with Gravenberg is like, yeah, he's young. Like, he is young. He's only 21. He'll turn 22 in May. But, like, he's got a lot of football under his belt. 103 games for Ajax, 34 for Bayern. So he joined us with 137 games played. He's now played 20 games for us. She's so on 157 games, and yet he's still a very immature footballer. And he still hasn't figured out that, you know, you need to work really hard off mm. the pitch. And... Again, there's a reason that two very, very good managers got sick of him in a year. Like, Nagelsmann and and Tuchel, they're not Klopp-level managers, obviously. I think they're both very, very good and potentially could get to that level someday. But they both just gave up on him. Curtis Jones has played 114 games, so 37 less. So basically a full season less. And look how much more mature he is. Look how much more hardworking he is. And there's an old saying that hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. And Brian Gravenberg is a more talented footballer than Curtis. But Curtis is a much, much better footballer because of the graft he puts in. Yeah. Thing, thing is, if, if you sorry, learn lessons, don't you? Curtis Jones learned lessons. He he didn't always play to his best, and I think he went off and he worked hard, and he and he, you know, he, he picked up on, on advice that he was given. And what worries me about Gravenberts? I mean, at the time, I kind of thought I'm kind of praising for it, but when he joined and he got in trouble with the Dutch national team because he didn't go on international duty because he was looking for a house, and I thought, well, you know, good on you because. What the hell have they got to do with anything? This is a big move for you. But then you're starting to think, is this sort of, is this a bit about him that he knows best and he doesn't take advice on board? I don't know. He's the same player as he was when he was 17. Like, he's exactly the same player now as he was when he was 17. Whereas Curtis Jones is a completely different player now to what he was at 17. At 17, he was a goal-scoring left-winger slash attacking midfielder. Now... From a defensive point of view, he's the the best or second best defensive midfielder at our club. He's a totally different player. He's done the Ginny Wijnaldum transformation, whereas Gravenberg is still the same player Mm, four years later. 
That's yeah, if Curtis could go back in time and talk to his seventeen year old self, he'd have a list of advice for him. Whereas grandpa should probably go back and say, You're all right, Kenny, as you are. Yeah, just ignore crap. my main worry is if it was just something as simple as getting used to the pressing. Like we've seen players in the past, like better players, more established players come in and it takes time to learn the pressing. But his technical should be brilliant isn't shining through. We've seen players at times who are excellent footballers, but they still need to learn our system. And it doesn't look like, like the only time he's really dominated a game is against lesser op- opposition in the Europa League. Mm. There's no one like that in the Premier League except well, we've already we've dropped points to fucking Luton, so I can't even say that. Um, and he was and he was atrocious in the game. Yeah. So like, you know, he only like, plays well in wi- massive wide spaces as well. When it's tight, he's fucking awful. In the Premier League, the only time he's actually played well was that cameo against City, and I I must rewatch it. But like, it might just be that we're judging it based on the couple of dribbles that he had, like the couple of runs that he made, because that's what he can do, and he's he can be so good at that. Like, there's a reason he's been hyped so much since he was 16, 17 years of age. Like, there's no question that he has immense amount of ability. But you look at him and he's like, he's 6'3". I think he's won five aerial duels in the 20 appearances for us so far. He's 6'3". And, like, he doesn't tackle. He doesn't track runners. The lads on under pressure have been a bit kind to him they haven't really done a deep dive yet on on his pressing numbers but i would guarantee that they're some of the worst they've ever seen and like there was a number going around i don't know how true it is but there was a stat going around about two weeks ago that he was winning something like 11 or 12 percent of his jewels like you're six three you're a big physical unit how is that happening how is that happening how are you not able to enforce your will on the game purely by your size and your physical capabilities. We've seen mm. mediocre midfielders come into this league. Like Abdoulaye Dekoure hasn't got one-tenth of the talent that Ryan Gravenberg has. But yet he knows how to use his size and his speed and his strength. And Gravenberg doesn't. So he, he ends up relying on his technical ability. But when you have a game like today... When his technical ability lets him down, you get that. We've seen him have many, many games of, you know, 70-odd percent pass completion. And that's not acceptable either. Whereas you've got Curtis, who's regularly in the 90 percents. And it's not like Gravenberg is trying all manner of crazy inventive passes. Like, he's not doing the things Dominic or Trent are doing. It, It is a concern. And you're right. Like, he doesn't understand the system or the shape yet then don't play him. Don't play mm-hmm. him. Like, you didn't need, <laughs> that's exactly it. But you didn't need to bring him on today. Curtis was fine. Curtis was playing well. He wasn't tiring. He wasn't looking like he was running out of steam. But two minutes after Gravenberg came on, he was looking like he was exhausted, having made one run back into our box. He was kind of puffing for breath. Like, you've been on two minutes. Yeah, and I know the Elliot sub was probably forced by the Diaz injury. I don't know if you're going to want to do the change because Jones played 90 in the middle of the week. Bring Elliot on. He's played the system. Maybe you have to swap Dominic over, but it's 
someone more used to the system than Gravenberg. But anyway, don't want to get back. Yeah, the fact we've only got four, as I said, four players that you would expect to be potentially in the starting lineup on the bench, and he's one of them. I think when everyone's fit, it's a question whether he's even going to be on the bench. And, and this is why he's got to take his opportunity now, yeah. because these players are going to come back, and he's not going to have a look in if he doesn't improve. Well, that's the thing. I think, well, touching... All the wood. Tiago Tiago is apparently back in the new year, which could mean any month of the year, uh, multiple times of the year. Could, could mean any new year. Yeah. It might not be this Absolutely. new year. Absolutely. It could be any club any, as well. But Basicic, well, Basicic news has gone very quiet, hasn't it? Alexis McAllister shouldn't be too far away, but we know what we do. We like to lie about injuries. And God forbid we might actually sign a midfielder. So you you are right there, Jimmy. Might fall down on that forty mil. Like I really hope because as basically what we've alluded to, we want him to do better because he's very fucking talented. But he needs to show it on the pitch, or he is going to fall down the pecking order and probably end up on loan, fired order, whatever. And we'll never see that money again because that's how our transfers go. If they don't work out, we lose a big money on them. Or he'll leave on a free in four years like our other fucking months. Um, anyway, uh, we're basically in the last spell of the game now. And Arsenal do come back into it a little bit. Um, but Elliot comes on. He has a deflected shot that hits the post. I don't think it was ever going near the goal, but it hit the post anyway. Got a corner. Um, then two minutes later, Dave... Um, we have that big moment where it's the 4v1 and the ball just bobbles up, but Trent's so technically brilliant. You should be able to control that. Just put your laces for it. A la Leicester those few years ago and just smash it in the bottom corner. You just got over it or got under it and just went over the bar. It was just a, a really crap finish, Dave. Yeah. Yeah. He should do a lot better. He really should do a lot better. I get that the ball bobbled, but I don't care. You're eight yards out. The ball is perfectly in front of you. You're a player of immense technical ability. You, you should be putting that away. Um, and we would have deserved that win. Like, we deserve to win the game today. We were the better team for the longest spell of the game. And unfortunately, that was the big chance that came. And it, it just, you know, it wasn't to be. Yeah, that's the thing. Uh, Jim, anything you want to add on that? I know you touched on it a bit earlier. No, I mean, it's just, I mean, you I always try and look for ways to defend our players, and I think the only defence I had is he's, well. There's two two ways of looking at it. One of them is thinking this guy, this keeper is going to fly towards me, I need to get it over him, and that was the wrong choice because he could have got it under him. The other one was maybe he's thinking, my God, how good is this going to look when it smashes the roof of the net? But <laughs> just slightly misjudged it. I think it's just one of those moments, isn't it? Um, in games like this, you, and especially games like today, how many really real, you know, clear cut chances did we get? We didn't get many, and when we get them, you've really got to be better at taking them. And um, the only other defence to Trent is maybe he was surprised it was passed to him because he was like the fourth player along or something, wasn't he? Yeah, maybe there was just simply too many bloody people there. Maybe we just needed someone to hang back so it was a bit more obvious, but uh, yeah. that, that's kind of a shit excuse, to be fair. should just fucking score. <laughs> um, uh, next note, Gomez forces a save. It's coming. Money against Burnley scoring because um, he'll have to bloody play now. Uh, Darwin has a header. I think it just goes over. Havertz asks for a pen. I think it's Trent who... It's, it's just not a foul. Um then we, I have a note that just says fucking man referee. I can't remember what it was for, but it was one of the many, many, many decisions he gave to them. Uh, then we got a foul. Then my next note's Gravenberg's been a mess, but we've not talked about that. Um, basically, my last note is the Saka. I don't think it was a 
straight sending off, but it was clearly a second yellow card. There was only two minutes of regular time left, but that should be a second yellow card, um, Jim. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's... Yeah, it's it, there's just... You just can't complain. I mean, it, I think we sort of only when Curtis when he got his yellow, his red card earlier in the season there was an element that was sort of there's a limit to what you can do when you're touching the ball and you know your feet can go a certain way you know everyone was kind of defending Curtis for that and this this was just it was just it was just clumsy it was just the best you can say it was clumsy it probably wasn't as filled with intent as as it kind of looked I mean the fans in the ground who didn't see replays will be fuming with it and wondering what the hell happened with that ref and he will definitely be known as the mank bastard from now on because of that but even allowing a little bit for the slip it still wasn't that he was in control he was out of control and if he'd have been in more control he wouldn't have had that slip and that that could have been dangerous and you know you tie that to the 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 tackle the the lunge the throw whatever you want to call it that left Simicass in in hospital. Um, there were so many decisions like that where the ref just didn't bother getting his cards out, um, and it's convenient as well. You know, sometimes that when it's only a yellow, there's no going back to it, is there? So you know, if you if you give a yellow, they don't they very rarely go back and turn it into a red. Um, if you don't give a yellow, they better you know they, you can't have a hindsight kind of second yellow. It doesn't make a lot of difference to us if you get sent off. Wait till you see the Forest game on match of the day. There was a yellow oh, card, right. second yellow card in that. That is absolutely oh. scandalous. Oh. <laughs> so yes, yeah, so our ref won't get any attention then. He's not no, enough no. To get attention. Oh, he um, won't. He not a sing. They'll probably mute the crowd shouting it uh, and probably just skip that bit out. But yeah, um, yeah, yeah. The ref yeah, good to do. It's just, it's just. Um, it's just frustrating. There's just so many of them, and, and I'm sick of talking about referees. But yeah. um, I mean, we can't blame the referee today for us not picking up the points. So that's the other thing to say about this is um, there was so much. I'm trying to find my other notes I'd written because I feel like I've written loads. <clears throat> I mean, I'm not sure. Um, I'm not sure why Trent, uh, why Salah got booked because I don't think it was. Was he booked for dissent or booked for the foul? So I think he he got yeah I think it was for dissent because he started doing Italian hand signals at him didn't he? Yeah, uh, my God, you can't do that. <laughs> but he was he seemed to have an outrageous decision, and as bad as Mo's been, he doesn't tend he doesn't tend to complain about things that weren't Unless he worth complaining about. He you know, he does. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, right. Yeah, but yeah, it was just yeah frustrating ref um, as always. As I said, yeah. I think he's just trying to even up the score because his mates down the pub five miles away from the Etihad will have been telling him off. But I'm, I'm only joking. I'm only joking. Only half joking. <laughs> um, uh, Dave, I mean, that, that was my last note. Anything you want to add or, uh, and then finish up with plugs and anything you want to let people know about? No, like I said at the start, just I feel like it's two points dropped. And then, you know, you look at the United game, that's absolutely two points dropped, especially considering what they... Did today, if anyone wants a good laugh, do find the post-match interview with Eric Ten Hag when he was asked about United's performance today. And he said, we we put in a really solid performance. <laughs> and the girl interview, uh, the girl doing the interview was so taken aback that she had to repeat it back to him. She just, in complete disbelief, said, you think that was a solid performance? <laughs> and it was like... Do you remember when we lost to Everton and Hodgson came out and said it was the best performance of his time at the club? Totally. And Jim, I think you were on the on the podcast when it was being discussed. Rory Smith was on with you guys. 
And Rory said that the 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 journalists were basically like, Roy, are, are you sure you want to say that? Yeah. You know, like, you know, like when you're around a really old person and like they do something mad and like you're like, are, are you really sure you want to do that? Like that just seems mental that you'd want to do that. It was kind of like that. It was kind of like. She, she was his carer trying to interview him and, and save him from embarrassing himself, which obviously our, the journalist had to do with Roy when we had him. It was really, really funny, but really bizarre as well. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's just it's four points dropped over this Christmas period. Um, we're second by a, by a point. We should be top by three. We should be three points clear at the top of the league. Um, and that's a little bit disappointing. The Costas injury is a big, big blow because... I'm guessing Robertson will be back in January, but I think so. Yeah, I, I don't see him being back. I mean, you look at our fixtures. He's not obviously not going to be back for the Newcastle game. Um, I doubt he's back for the Arsenal game in the cup. So I'm guessing it's probably Bournemouth on the 21st is the likely return of Andy Robertson. So we've got four games to get through, including the Fulham first leg. And Joe Gomez is going to have to play, or like you guys said earlier, one of the youngsters is going to have to play. And, you know, it's a big ask for them. But the plus side is we get through Burnley. And then this club and this manager and the people around him, they have an opportunity here to show real ambition and go and do what's needed and get in a couple of players because we need a couple of players and if they do what's what's needed, or even half of what's needed, if they even just get in one, one good addition, the title is right there for us. Yeah, it's right there for us. Now there's always the possibility City, City come back and run off, you know, sixteen wins out of eighteen or something, and with a, with a win and a draw on the other two, and just run away with it like they did last year, but. It feels like there's a real opportunity right now for us. That Arsenal team, I just, I don't believe in them. I really don't believe in them. And I, I'm looking at Jamie Carragher and others saying that the four centre-backs put in master classes and such. The few moments that we actually got at that back four through avenues other than Salah, there was quite a bit of panic defending from the Arsenal side of things. And I feel like had we been on our game, we'd take advantage of that. And I do think other teams will take advantage of that. That's what I was going to say. I think we've given people a blueprint today on how, what the weaknesses are with Arsenal. Yeah. We didn't capitalise on them. We didn't you know, make but the most of them. we showed where they are. Shown them. Yeah. And the, the, other, the other thing with them is like they, just, they can't score enough goals. Like it was the same against Brighton. They went 1-0 up. They, they dominated that game. Unlike today, they actually dominated that game. They couldn't find a second goal. And Pascal Grouse misses a sitter. And it should have been 1-1 before the Havertz goal, which might not have happened if it was a draw. Brighton might have been more set defensively and trying to take home their point. I, I, I think this Arsenal team can be got to. And their Champions League campaign will get a lot harder when it comes back because they're not going to be playing. They've got a Europa League group, let's be fair. It was very, very easy for them. And I, I think they'll beat us in the FA Cup, and I'm quite happy for them to beat us in the FA Cup. Um, so they'll have to deal with that going forward as well. So things will get tighter for them. They'll have more injuries. They've been very, very fortunate so far. 
there's there's a real chance for us here, <clears throat> a real chance. And we know we've got two cups that we're in a great position in, in, in the, F, the EFL Cup and the Europa League. We're in a great position to win both of them. But the league is really open and really, really there for the taking if we do what's needed. And there's a couple of players out there who would fit us like a glove. So hopefully, hopefully the club do what's needed. Um, as for me, nothing until Thursday. So enjoy your Christmases. Um, eat, drink, be merry. All that good stuff. Don't drink and drive. And, you know, enjoy the time with your families and your friends. And if you're having a tough time or you're maybe by yourself at Christmas, if you're on Twitter and you follow me, just reach out. Always available. If you're if you, if you just message me or, or tweet me till I see it. And, uh, you know, I'm always around for chat if anyone needs a chat around this time, because I know it's tough for a lot of people at this time of the year. And I can only point you in the direction of, of my friend Damo, who's currently living his best life in Mexico because he didn't fancy Christmas in wet, wet windy Ireland. So, Why you know, t- take, a, take a lesson from the great man or take a lesson from Downey. Christmas dinner on the 23rd. He'll have the tree down tomorrow and then he's away. He's ready for the new year. No messing about with Trev. Be like the boys. Uh, yeah. Take care of yourselves, folks. Yeah, echo that same thing. If anyone does struggle, follow me. Most people on AI are sound as well. Say most, figure out who the bad ones are. <laughs> uh, they will be there for you. Uh, Jim, same question to you. Anything? Uh, any last thoughts and, and plugs over the uh, Christmas period? Yeah, I mean, it's um, Christmas is normally the time when it gets mad when you get you feel like you've got so many games close together um, because they always try to squeeze the extra Premier League game and you've got League Cup games and. Um, for in our sake, it's good. In our case, it's good. We've got extra games in January because we're doing well in the in the League Cup, and we've got them to look forward to. I agree. I'm not that bothered about the FA Cup. I mean, it's a nice to have if we if we can beat Arsenal, great. But I wouldn't want to. I wouldn't want to risk too many players in that because we are looking a bit threadbare, and there's a risk we're going to be really threadbare. We do need to spend some money this window. Um, in a lot of ways, we've got we've got to this position at Christmas, being second, a point behind Arsenal. In a lot of ways. I wouldn't say by luck, but a lot of good fortune because I don't think anybody expected mm-hmm. us to do this well at this point in the season when that transfer window slammed shut back in September. So it's been a bonus, if you like, that we've done this well. And I just hope that the powers that be with the checkbook aren't thinking, oh, my God, look how well we've done. We don't need to spend money. You do need to spend money. Um, it's a bonus that we've done this well with the money that was spent and the players that were missing in the holes that we've got in the squad. The fact we haven't got enough players on the bench and we're going to have, you know, by the looks of it, we'll have three players on the bench in the next game that maybe could have got a start. So Maybe two if Diaz is injured. Well, yeah, that's it. And it's just and it's just dwindling and dwindling. And, and that's not allowing for the, anyone who's like, you know, done in after playing 90 minutes today. So we've got to, you know, we've got to, we've got to strengthen the squad and extend the squad and make sure it's big enough with quality. Um, but all that said, you know what? We, it's disappointing. Two drawn games, four points drops. I get all of that. Um, but it still feels like there's something here with this side, and there still feels we've got that fight in us somewhere. We're getting things wrong, but we're we're gradually fixing them, and we're getting somewhere with it. The front three. Yeah, they can't keep on all being not good enough at the same time. And sooner or later, one of them is going to start firing. The other one's going to join in, then the other one. And then, you know, we'll, maybe it'll just peak at the right time. Um, but yeah, same here for me. Um, probably going to do a scout of Tommy's 
midweek after the Burnley game. There's one now, if you want to listen to it, obviously looking ahead to the Arsenal game, which we just had, so you can laugh at how wrong we might have been, um, see what you agree and disagree with. But we will be back this week, I think, talking about the Burnley game and looking up, looking ahead, I suppose, to the New Year's Day clash against Newcastle. But that's next year. Echoing what you two have just said as well about Christmas, it is a tough time. Um, I just hope, as well as having people to talk to and you can find people, there's always one of us will talk to you, we'll always find the time. But... I'm hoping Liverpool can be the distraction from anything that's getting you down. You know, um, Burnley next. Let's let's give them a hammering. Yeah, they had their winter there. Let's ruin their post-Christmas celebrations. Um, <laughs> that is it before till after Christmas. So everyone at, who celebrates, etc. Merry Christmas from me. Merry Christmas from everyone at AI. Uh, Trev is back for Boxing Day because, as Tre- uh, Dave said, he doesn't do Christmas normally. He's done. He's already done. He's probably put the tree away already. Uh, but it is me, Trev and Carl, I believe. So we will be there for the Burnley game. We will see you then. Merry Christmas, everyone. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.